WCNC Charlotte. This is Flashpoint. Hey everybody, thanks for joining us here on Flashpoint. I'm Ben Thompson. As we look ahead to the midterm elections next year, one local county is going to be the focus of, some would say, unlikely media attention. Anson County. It's a rural place about an hour or so southeast of Charlotte. Perhaps you or a loved one live there, or most likely you've at least driven through on the way to the beach like a lot of folks. Well, NBC News is going to be focusing monthly reports on Anson County and taking a deep dive specifically into the rural African-American vote, a group that helped turn North Carolina blue for Barack Obama, but not necessarily for Joe Biden. Joining us today, moderator of NBC's Meet the Press, Chuck Todd. Chuck, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. Uh, NBC News once again spotlighting specific counties across the U.S. You got it? Uh, ahead of the, the midterm, which is now just about a, a year away at this point. Uh, I know we have uh, Anton County here in our area that, that you guys are going to highlight. But first of all, broadly speaking, what are some of the, the things you're looking for in, in these counties across the country? Well, we're in the midst of a political realignment, right? We, this, this is one of those cases where we're holding an election every two years and we get this snapshot of where America's at, but it's been moving pretty rapidly. Like we, we were, we were, we, we, we sort of, we were in place for a while in the 90s. We were in place for a while, I would argue, for the first 10 years of this decade, uh, of this century. But in the second 10 years and through even now the, the beginning here of the 20s, we're, there's a lot of shifting dynamics, there, whether it's in the suburbs, whether it's in rural America, which has become almost uh, decidedly in one column, suburban America moving more rapidly. And so all of this is in the middle of this change. So we think the best way to understand the American electorate and this, and this sort of political realignment that we're in, living in the middle of is to look at it from a county level perspective because, you know, and our polarized politics and this whole idea where we uh, we don't live next door, we, you know, Democrats and Republicans don't live next door to each other anymore. We've sort of self-sorted. So the only way to truly understand why a state moves in certain directions is you got to look at it almost like a, a piece of material in a tapestry or in a quilt, one square at a time, and the counties are the are are one square of this. Uh, quilt that is the American electorate, and Anson is a county that we're curious, particularly rural African Americans. This is a vote that did not turn out in high as numbers as Democrats were hoping in 2020. It's why Biden did not carry North Carolina and why Democrats lost that Senate race. Uh, that's something we're wondering, is this a trend that is going to continue or not? And, and is it a trend that, that you guys think is, is happening in Anson County, but also happening in other counties like it? across the country. Well, so that's exactly what you, you, you've, you've got, you've pinpointed exactly why, you know, we're, we're taking one county, but we believe it's emblematic of, in this case, in the Sunbelt swing states, whether it's North Carolina, Florida, Georgia, Texas, I'd throw in a South Carolina uh, if you want uh, as well, which is it, it, they, the, all of those states have a significant chunk of rural African-American population. We know African-Americans that live in urban areas vote uh, very strongly for the Democrats, and turnout is usually pretty high. Among rural African-Americans in 2008 and 2012, when Barack Obama was on the ballot, turnout was high. It's why North Carolina essentially got pulled into the battleground. You know, it really wasn't a battleground state until Barack Obama. But... It's Republicans have been eking it out 
And when I look, it's specifically those border counties between North and South Carolina. And look, again, if Democrats figure out how to, how to get their uh, African-American rural turnout up, that is going to tell you something about a Senate race, not just in North Carolina, uh, but the statewide races in South Carolina and the statewide races in Georgia in particular. And what do you think, I mean, in your view, a lot of this comes down, in some cases, cultural issues. You have the Biden agenda, many would argue would help folks in, in rural America. Um, and, and whether or not that passes, of course, is going to be determined of whether or not they do well in the midterms next year. Um, but can they legislate on some of these cultural issues that are going to appeal to some of these folks? That's a great question on the cultural front. I don't think so. I think that the Democrats believe what they can get done in this next six months, right, is uh, trying to help on the economic front. Look, they're not going to get new voting rights legislation passed through this Senate right now. That doesn't mean they don't try to turn it into a campaign issue to motivate voters to the polls. But as far as deliverables, the Democrats are focused a lot more, I think, on, on economics a lot more on the social safety net, a little less on some other issues that are of concern to many, uh, to many African American voters, whether it's the issue of guns uh, or voting rights. But I think those are going to be more uh, election motivators. I'll tell you one little uh, potential disconnect among rural African Americans and the Democrats is rural African Americans are a bit more religious than the rest of the Democratic Party. And one of the things that does sort of cross racial lines is the more frequently you go to church, the more likely you'll vote Republican, regardless of race. And that is another thing here that I think Democrats are trying to figure out how the, 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 the secularization of the Democratic Party could run into a little bit of, of, of an of a adversarial relationship over time with more religious African Americans. We haven't hit that point yet. But it's something that I've, Democratic strategists have uh, told me about, that's for sure. Well, and the Trump campaign touted the fact that they made some inroads within communities of color across the country, especially men. Um, give us an idea of what, what to expect um, um, from this. You're going to be yeah. checking in, in in Anson County and other counties like it uh, as part of this project. How, how often are you going to be on the ground there with, with, with people reporting? Um, what can we expect? You should expect to see us a lot. Number one, North Carolina is, I think, one of the seven most critical battleground states in any year. You know, North Carolina Senate races help decide the control of the Senate, and North Carolina is one of the closely, closely contested presidential races. So we're going to be there a lot. Uh, as far as how we're doing county to county, we're going to be, be a, we want to be an Anson at least once a month, if not more often, because what we're trying to find out is how, not only is how's the national conversation playing locally, but what is happening locally that may percolate up and have an impact? Whether it's, you know, whether we go to school board meetings to see how's that conversation and how we teach race in our schools going. Or, you know, so we want to use it as an opportunity of a sounding board for ourselves. So, frankly, we don't want to miss anything. You know, I think a fair critique of the national media is we, somehow, we sometimes gloss over what's happening at a more granular level on the local level. And I think now, we're learning what's happening locally in some ways is being a heavy influence from, that, from the national conversation, but it, the, it, it is coming together to create a, a new stew that we have to pay attention to 
for uh, when it comes to the influence it has on American politics. Yeah, battleground Anson County. That's uh, how you could look at it. All right, Chuck Todd uh, up in D.C. for us. Uh, Chuck, thanks as always. We appreciate it. You can catch more of NBC's County to County reporting all this week. More Flashpoint after this. Welcome back to Flashpoint. Joining us now, the man with all the knowledge locally and one of our favorite guests, because he's usually one of the smartest guys we talk to, uh, Professor Michael Bitzer from Catawba College. Um, doctor, thank you as always. We appreciate it. My pleasure. All right, so uh, let's let's talk about where Chuck Todd left off. Um, Anson County, NBC News sort of doing a deep dive on that county between now and the midterms um, because of its demographic makeup. Better help us understand why um, looking and analyzing a county like Anson is helpful, not only locally, but also across the national stage. Well, I think certainly the demographics of Anson County are fairly unique in terms of registered voters. It's almost evenly split between white non-Hispanic and African-American non-Hispanic voters. So in the South, when we talk about voting patterns, we oftentimes talk about the fact that African-American voters are strongly reliable Democrats. They vote 90 to 95% of the time for Democratic candidates. White voters in the South generally tend to be Republican, but in Anson County, it presents a unique factor in that there are still some white voters who vote Democratic. In 2020, for example, Joe Biden won Anson County 51 to 47 when Donald Trump won the state by 51% of the vote as well. So this kind of demographic deep dive, I think is really gonna be important for the primary process of voter turnout. And that's the crucial component, particularly here in North Carolina. Yes, there are swing voters, but the vast majority of North Carolina voters have made up their minds before they go into the voting booth. There's two aspects of this. Well, there's probably a lot more than two, but what I'm thinking about right now is you have uh, white rural Democrats, and <clears throat> these are the folks who probably voted for Jimmy Carter, perhaps Bill Clinton back in the day, and, and they've stayed with the party this whole time. Well, a small chunk of them have stayed with the party. What we have seen in North Carolina, particularly in rural counties, is what we call a realignment of rural voters, meaning that those historic legacy Democratic voters have now transitioned to being Republican voters, particularly since 2016 and the support for Donald Trump. That has become very evident. And in, its, in a county like Anson, there are still some historic legacy Democratic voters who are white that still vote Democratic, but their numbers have shrunk considerably across North Carolina and across the South. And the other aspect of this that makes it interesting is that uh, you have African-American voters in Anson County, counties like it that are rural. They are not the reliable Democrat voter that say urban uh, voters would be here in Charlotte. Well, very much so in terms of turnout. I looked at the 2020 turnout rates uh, among the, the entire county. Two-thirds of all Anson County voters showed up to vote, 67%. But when you break that down by race and ethnicity, white non-Hispanic voters, they showed up 75%, three-quarters of them did. When you look at black African-American non-Hispanic voters, 
it was only 63% voter turnout. So Democrats have got to have that reliable base of voters show up at comparable levels if they want to make North Carolina a Democratic state. And I talked to Chuck Todd about this some, but explain why, why Anson County would be emblematic of, say, a, a county in Georgia or South Carolina or, or, or other states across the South. Well, certainly the South is still dominated by one term that we use, the Black Belt, that basically starts in uh, Virginia and kind of swings as a crescent through North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, into Alabama, Mississippi, and Louisiana. It is a high minority population of counties in that Black Belt region that really help Democrats and particularly define what a state will do politically if they show up to vote. And I think with Anson County, even though it's considered part of the Charlotte Metropolitan Statistical Area, it is still very much a rural county, small, dominated by uh, minority populations, voters of color. I think it will be a key test if somebody like uh, Sheree Beasley wins the Democratic nomination for U.S. Senate. Can she energize that population to show up and help her secure what will, by all accounts, be a battleground U.S. Senate race here in North Carolina in 2022? All right, let's switch gears. Let's talk redistricting. Um, mm -hmm. As we always say, we always preface this, it's one of the most important topics and it's also one of the most uh, boring topics when it comes to actually wrapping your head around. You're laughing <laughs> because you know it's true. Um, it, it's a complicated topic, but, but, but we know that state lawmakers right now are trying to sort these uh, redistricting lines out. Um, and where do we stand right now? We, we are getting ready to get the final versions of the maps. And I think what is important for folks to know is certainly the Republicans control the legislature, therefore they control the map making process. Governor Cooper has no veto power over redistricting legislation, but the likelihood is once these maps are released and the legislature votes on the congressional and state house and state senate uh, maps, we are in all likelihood going to see legal challenges filed both in state court and federal court. We've had this dynamic in North Carolina for the past 40 years. Why not start a fifth decade with the same dynamics? I mean, how is this ever going to get resolved? I mean, you, you, you have, I mean, in the last 10 years, this got relitigated re many, many times. Um, and and you, would, you would hope that our lawmakers would learn a lesson um, and draw up uh, things that at least a court could find fair, what gives? Well, first and foremost, redistricting is the most political activity in American politics. And because we have become so hyper-polarized, that has only ramped up the dynamics. The second factor that I always point folks to is the fact that when you use the building blocks, the precincts where people go to cast their ballots, in North Carolina, 70% of them vote overwhelmingly are landslide precincts for one party over the other. We have very few competitive regions or areas in the state. And so when you draw maps, the lines only accentuate what is already happening on the ground. So folks that you know complain about fair maps, well, Define for me first what is fair in politics. And secondly, you have to acknowledge that we, the voters, have sorted ourselves 
put ourselves into like-minded communities, like-minded precincts. And that is part of the issue with trying to draw quote unquote fair maps. The professor is always proud of, uh, of the tasks he gives his students to try to come up with the maps themselves. And then that's when they realize how difficult it really is to draw fair maps um, that, that everybody agrees to. Actually, you, you can't do that. So how does this how does this this fight end? I mean, you, you, you talk about how we are changing. We're self-segregating. We live with only people who who, who think like we do politically. Um, and we have political parties who have their own vested interests in making sure they stay in power. Where does this end, not next year, but where does this end 10, 20 years from now? Well, I think the biggest issue that I'm going to be watching is demographic dynamics, and particularly generational change. We know that older voters tend to be more Republican, particularly among baby boomers. But the fact is that millennials and now Gen Z voters under the age of 40 have a very different perspective when it comes to government's role in things like the economy and social issues. And I think that that generational replacement over the next decade, two decades, will have a powerful impact on how North Carolina and particularly the country votes. Let me get your quick predictions about how uh, the midterms will go next year. We're about a year out. How do you think they're going to go for uh, at least when it comes to Congress in D.C.? Um, Democrats going to stay in power? If, if you believe the history, and that's a powerful indicator, the president's party always loses seats in the House and in the Senate. The likelihood is that with redistricting going on, Republicans may be able to pick up those handful of seats needed to reclaim majority in the House. I think the Senate is going to be highly competitive. All eyes are going to be on North Carolina potentially to see which way the Senate is controlled. This is becoming a routine thing around here for our Senate races. All right. Uh, Dr. Michael Bitzer, Professor, thank you as always. We appreciate it. Good to see you. All right, more Flashpoint after this. Welcome back to Flashpoint. Second chances are on the way for those leaving prison and hoping for new beginnings. It's part of one North Carolina man's vision to offer job training and mental health services to current and former inmates. WCNC Charles Brianna Harper shares how this effort that started as a small idea could end up making a much bigger difference. The founder of TikTok Innovations says this concept has been more than a decade in the making as he dealt with his brother in and out of jails like this one. But he says he always wanted to find better ways to communicate with him while inside. When many think of life behind bars, there is a disconnect. But TikTok Innovations is working to change that with the acronym that stands for the inside connection and the outside connection. Founder Dwayne Lester Jr. says what started with simply writing letters eventually turned into an app. You'll be able to type in the app and then we can print the letter off or if they had the technology, try to partner with the correctional facility. Then once the inmate is released, that's where the transition into a vocational trade begins. Training them on a skill, uh, maintenance, carpentry, um, uh, painting, electricity, giving them an opportunity uh, uh, to be re-implemented uh, back to society. So far, TikTok has partnered with more than a dozen maintenance and janitorial services all across Charlotte to employ those who have served time, ultimately giving them a chance to serve a much greater purpose. Striving to change a culture, right? The culture of thinking uh, by, by just simply offering a second chance. But Lester adds, most importantly, is the focus on mental health. 
A partnership with CMPD will be one of the first agencies to make the most of the TikTok mental health services as a setup for success. They will be able to be treated uh, in a way that it stabilizes them to have some peace, to have peace of mind, knowing who they are, knowing what they want. And we're told this is just the start. The goal is to expand TikTok innovations to other correctional agencies all across North Carolina. Reporting in Uptown, Brianna Harper, WCNC, Charlotte. More Flashpoint after this. Welcome back to Flashpoint. Hey folks, come interact with me on social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, we're there. If there's something you'd like us to talk about on Flashpoint, let us know. And always keep in mind, you can listen and subscribe to our podcast. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll see you back here next weekend.